1: Hi, hey everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Kwazala. I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's the premise. That's the deal. That's just the way it goes with me, as always, the skeptic, the voice of the people, the little devil on my shoulder, Kristen Studdard. Hey, Kristen, how are you? Hello.
2: I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine.
1: So, Kristen, technically, we are recording this at the tail end of July July, want my my MTV, MTV. but this will be released as the first episode of a new pun theme month. I'm going to let you marinate on that for a second, but let's not waste any more time. Let's bring in our guest, one of our favorites, someone who we've talked to many times in person, many times on Zoom. He has a ballot because he used to be on the nominating committee for many, many years, uh, he is a publicist, was a publicist for Warner Brothers Records for a very long time. Let's bring him in, we always love talking to him. Bob Merlis, hey Bob.
0: Hey, so this is like your Shark Week equivalent, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> yes, it's like the, the thematic.
2: theme summer right. or like theme months. I don't know, we, we have like- so
1: many months in between induction, announcement and actual ceremony that we have to find creative ways to pass the time. Right.
0: Well, I understand it. I, as the uh, proprietor of Feral Cars, we we come we've come up with theme weeks. We had uh, Truck Week, kind of boring, but the, <laughs> the, the good one was Lark Week. Every for five days, we found a, a different Studebaker Lark to share. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. I, I
2: was thinking like a Buick Skylark. Oh, Lark Studebaker week. Lark. Yes. So, Kristen. Um, okay, I mean, I have in the back of my head been really running through some stuff. I'm like, ugh. So, let's uh, let's re- let's
1: review what we've done so far. We brought back one of the worst puns, but a good month early in June lints, where we talk about the early influence <laughs> category. We had July Want my MTV where we reviewed the many MTV centric bands that are being inducted this year. Now, Last year, as you might recall, it was Doc Gist. We watched a lot of documentaries given that the Go Go's oh, yeah. and okay. parents Avon had recent kind of high profile documentaries. Not doing that this year. This we are year, going are we doing- to be.
2: Blogist. It's all artists who are going to be reading blog posts about. <laughs> yeah, artists. that would be, be weird. where people have blogged about wow. them. um we're that's why a- we brought in Bob merlis I was the born famous in August, blogger. so I take exception to that. I'm also from <laughs> I hate I was also born in August, so Well, I'm it's not-, not
1: about it's not about your birthdays, guys. It is going to be and Bob already kind of knows this, but he doesn't know the bad pun just yet.
2: Okay, wait. Tell me what it's going to be about, and let me see if I can get a pun. Well, going. we're
1: covering we're covering a category, a one that you don't love, the non-performer category, now referred to as the Ahmet Erdogan category award. Is
2: this Ahmet Ertegust? Pretty much,
0: Ogmet Ertegust.
2: I did it, Ogmet yeah, Ertegust.
0: Pretty much nailed it. Oh, yeah. Wow. So isn't it, isn't it sad that some of these? people who have been inducted in this category are, you know, so pivotal, but the name of the category is what it isn't non performer. They tell you what they aren't, but not what they are. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think that might be why they rebranded it. I mean, so this category has gone through a few iterations in the beginning, you know, it was just called non performer and you did get people who were performers and I think the advent of the musical excellence category has created a new lane for some of those types of artists who did have a performing career, but they did do things outside of it and you have to find a place for them, but just calling them non-performer doesn't make a lot of sense for a time being. There was uh they called it lifetime achievement or there was like a separate lifetime achievement, but it was essentially non-performer, but this is the category for, People who founded labels, songwriters, other types of people who have no other place to go in the Rock Hall, but they feel are worthy to be honored. Mm. Now, let's. So, this is a category that is decided not by ballot, but by subcommittee. Now, Bob, according (sighs) to some documents that I've looked at, it is said that you were involved in some of these subcommittees but you say no you I, were never. i
0: was in the uh, early influences subcommittee i okay. served on the early influences subcommittee so we we made recommendations and 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 in looking at the list of the um the ahmed Erdogan awardees i don't see anybody that we suggested in during my tenure on that committee you know people like, um, I'm not saying we were responsible for it, for but uh, people like um, Sister Rosetta Tharp and um, Wanda Jackson and so on, who shouldn't have been inducted in that realm anyway, but so so be it, she wasn't, she wasn't early and I don't know how much influence <laughs> she had, but she definitely deserves to be in. So but you gotta find a place. I, dig- I digress. Uh,
1: but yeah, so what I wanna do is, we've actually done an episode like this before, Kristen, but it was just you and me And we were going through the inductees in this category. But here's the thing. I am not an authority on any of these people. And I felt like we needed to bring in somebody who could provide the context, who could tell us definitively why these people are worthy of induction. I thought no one would be better
0: than our our friend Bob. Well, thanks for thinking of me in that very positive light. And, and, And looking at this list of previous inductees in this category. I have in fact met and spent time with a significant number of them. Incredible. I once, uh, I see Barry Gordy in 1988 and I went to the Grammys, I don't know what year it was. Uh, Pink was rotating on on a trapeze. Uh Alice Cooper was a a presenter and I was there with Alice Cooper, was a client at the time. And I had a big laminate and so on. I looked like I was sort of official. Mm. And Barry Gordy approached me and said, where's the men's room? And I was at a loss (laughs) because I didn't know I was coming from backstage. I was walking across the floor. And I thought, I I have to come through for Mr. Gordy. That, By the way, the people closest to him call him Mr. Gordy. And uh, (laughs) I just grabbed an usher. I said, this is Barry Gordy. You're going to take him to the men's room. And the guy just... Did it, which was great. I, I felt, I felt my my intersection with Barry Barry Gordy was a very very worthwhile one, uh, especially from his point of view.
2: You may, hey, you helped him out.
0: I, I did help out a friend didn't Mr. need. Mr. Gordy, <laughs> <And>, Mr. Um, Gordy. <laughs> of I, I I directly worked for one of the inductees, Mo Austin. Right, anyway, yeah. I'm not, not going to you know the fact that I met and knew some of these people. I guess is relevant, but we don't have to go through the whole list.
1: Yeah. So listen, we we are gonna we're gonna go through this chronologically, but you know, it's a it's a long list and we don't need to dwell, but you know, okay. we can get a little bit of info on each. Sure. And whenever you feel like elaborating, feel I'm free to, especially for some of these it. Some of these names are very famous, and I, I think our audience probably like we mentioned Barry Gordy, Motown Records, you know, I think people understand. His inclusion, but there's some names in here that are a little more obscure. So, okay, we'll we'll get yeah, to that.
2: I think I've gone on record as saying that I find a lot of the inductees in this category to be a bit of a music industry insiders just circle jerk, kind of patting each other on the back, giving which, which, you know, which you're of not- them
0: really says that to you.
2: Uh, mostly record industry executives who've already made a bunch of money and now also want to be recognized as well for, Uh for, You, you
1: were pretty upset with the managers from a few years ago. The
2: managers find it all to be a little unnecessary as far as like taking the, uh, time out of the ceremony when we also have all of these other people who have not been inducted that are, I don't know, musicians. Um,
1: yeah. Is it about the music?
2: It it to me feels Anymore. very much like it, it is about the self-congratulatory power of the music industry. And that's what award shows are. I'm not like saying it is uncommon, you know, but I just I, I'm I I there's very rare that I'm like, oh, I'm so uh finally <laughs> this person's getting recognized. Clarence Avon is maybe someone that I was really excited to see inducted because I like to learn.
0: Right, and about, I hope I, you, I, hope, to I hope you learn about saw him. The film, uh, Black waiting Godfather, for, waiting for Sugarman. Uh, oh in right, yeah. Oh which yeah, he yeah. Is not portrayed in a very positive light. No, He's he uh, uh, in essence uh, accused of holding out these massive um, royalties that uh, Rodriguez accrued in South Africa, and as a as a record company functionary looking for royalties from foreign territories his defense well how am i supposed to know it was selling in south africa is a very weak one <laughs> ooh
2: no i've i've never um uh watched that documentary by, by, i listened by, by the to an token, audio version of it like by, a...
0: by the same token nobody said this list of people is supposed to be above reproach in terms of their business practices well and I've...
2: certainly um you know with a name like ahmet erdogan on the masthead uh
0: <laughs> yeah
1: sets a tone
2: uh sets a tone
0: Ahmed uh, Erdogan produced Ray Charles. You could stop right there. Yeah, right.
1: Uh, but let's let's start with the first year, which Ahmed was not, he did not right. put himself in the first year, put himself in the second year.
0: But uh the first name, Alan Freed. Well, that we we owe him to some extent the popularization of the term rock and roll. And as a kid, I used to listen to Alan Freed. So it, yeah,
1: it hugely influential. A uh, uh, radio broadcast out of Cleveland maybe one of the reasons why the museum is in Cleveland.
0: Um, it's a justification for it, that's for sure. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and he moved to New York and uh, became, uh, you know, one of the main boosters of the whole rock and roll movement and got in trouble with um, the government for taking payola. Not the only person to have done that, but the one who was... Made an example of, but took the fall. No, it's indisputable that he he belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on one level or another, uh, irrespective of whatever business practices he had. Sure, uh, Sam Phillips. See <laughs> C- above times two, perhaps, because Sam Phillips brought the world Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Roy Orbison, um, Johnny Cash. <laughs> for instance, uh Johnny and Howlin' Wolf. He, he basically discovered Howlin' Wolf and was the 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 guy who recorded um Ike Turner and the Kings of Rhythms Rocket 88 with Jackie Brent. You women have
3: heard of if you've heard the noise they make, but let me reduce my new Rocket 88.
0: Which is for whatever reason thought to be the first rock and roll record. I don't, it's no there's no point in going down that road, but Sam Phillips. <laughs> Phenomenal, a visionary in every way. And a guy I got to meet and uh, enjoyed his company immensely. And his label was Sun.
1: Sun Sun Records Records.
0: and for other artists, Phillips International, on which uh, my own Memphis International was based in terms Mm. of the graphics. Okay. Uh, John Hammond. You know, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, Billie Holiday, Count Basie he was a, a phenomenal talent scout and a fan. He, he was a fan of music. He was a music journalist before he got into the a and racket. And uh, I had lunch with him once when they, when um, Columbia records was putting out a five times two LP set of uh, Bessie Smith. And he took me to the century club. And he said, have you met Chauncey Howell? who was, you know, a mover and shaker at the next table. I said, no, I haven't. I'm 20 years old. I haven't had a chance to meet people like that. And he spoke exactly like Governor Nelson Rockefeller, and that is the New York patrician accent. And he was Benny Goodman's brother-in-law and the father of John Hammond Jr., logically, who's a very, very competent uh, blues cat.
2: A competent blues cat.
0: More <laughs> than competent. I enjoy his records.
1: And, and John Hammond also. He put on some kind of important concerts.
3: Oh, the right?
0: spirituals to swing a Carnegie yeah. Hall concert. He went out to discover Robert Johnson only to find out he was already dead. So he, his instincts were were quite brilliant. And my current client Dion tells of when he was uh, on Columbia Records and he used to hang out with John Hammond who played him old blues records. And he's pursued a blues career for pretty much the last 40 years of his 60 plus year career. I mean, blues is his focus. John Hammond put a major role in that.
1: And that's the the first year. Yeah. When we we go to 87, we get, you might be able to guess which record label uh, Leonard Chess was
0: involved with. Yes, mm-hmm. that label is Cadet, Aristocrat, and Checker, as well as Chess, obviously, and uh, signed uh, some of the most significant artists of all time. And um, I mean, it's indisputable that the the the, the man, one of the, I mean, the, his brother Phil was involved as well, but Leonard was more hands-on in the studio, and. Um, Came up with this amazing formula for electric blues. I mean, I don't think he came up with a formula, but he was able to document it and Mm -hmm. uh, rock and roll of of many stripes. And who are we talking about on chess records? Yeah, the moon glows, Uh, you know, where it's a a vocal uh, uh, group. Chuck Berry, you could
4: stop right there.
0: That's sure. That's ground zero for rock and roll as a popular art form. And and he signed Eddie James. And there have been two documentary films. He was portrayed by Adrian Brody in one of them.
4: Hmm. Um,
0: I, I, did I say documentary? Not no. They're yeah. No, I am no, was they're not. Bio, a... They're not even biopics of him. They're
1: sort of yeah. He's incidentally
2: over. in. It's, well, um,
1: it's funny. This class, we have a few people who have been represented in film.
2: Yeah. Oh, Many uh, times. Er, er, well, yeah. Sam Phillips also was. Uh, he was in Walk new the Elvis line movie in, as well. Yeah, the Elvis movie yeah. has
1: a bunch of these people in it. Yeah. yeah. So, but we've got we've got Ahmet in this class as well as portrayed by Curtis Armstrong like and in
0: job because the 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 award is named after him. But I mean, really, it was important. not at
1: the time, but yeah. really important
0: back. catalyst for the propagation of rock and roll. Sounds like a a Vatican function. um <laughs> <laughs> and um, he came into it as a fan. He loved he loved R and B and so on, and um, it came up with a with a label that was the number one independent label for many years. And he's a foreigner, which is incredible. Um, he's a, he's he was a Turkish national. His father was the Turkish ambassador to the United States. And um, this is
1: Atlantic Records.
0: Atlantic Records, yes. Signed sign Ruth Brown was said to have had an affair with Ruth Brown, mm-hmm. who, till her dying day, referred to him as Mr. Erdogan. And the Atlantic Company was said to be the house that Ruth built, because Ruth Brown was the source of many early hits for the company. Mama,
1: he treats your me. You'll see him portrayed in, in movies like Ray. He's oh, yes. uh, uh-huh. a, a pivotal figure in a lot of very famous uh absolutely artists at that time. Uh, and we've got uh our first songwriters. We got Lieber and Stoller. Well, I Jerry think Lieber. Alan
0: Freed is in in theory a songwriter. Technically, in, yeah, oh, as really? so far as his name is on records, but uh Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller, that's what they did for a living. They're pure uh, songwriters, yeah. And they're sensational songwriters who came up with over 500 copyrights, many of which are well-known, including hound dog. hound dog. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. And Peggy Lee's Is That All There Is. Is that
2: all there is? is that
4: all there is? I only
0: bring that up to show how wide-ranging was their uh, focus. And um, here, I'll tell you the Libra and Stoller story. One of my friends is the president of Libra and Stoller Music, so I... I never tire of hearing Jerry and Mike stories. One of them, I think it was Lieber, was on a, a ocean liner that was hit by another ocean liner. It was the Andrea Doria was hit by the Stockholm. I think the year was 1956, and most of the um, the passengers from both ships were were saved. And um, Lieber finally made it to New York on some. Freighter or something. He got rescued from the North Atlantic, and uh, Stoller met him at the port, and he said, "What? What did I miss?" And, and Stoller said, "Hound Dog is a hit." And Lieber said, "Really? I didn't think Big Mama Thornton would be, that have that much appeal. He had no idea. <laughs> wow, that, that there was such a person known as Elvis Presley. None. And and then they became really reliable sources of hits for Elvis, but lots yeah. of other and the coasters, all those hilarious. Coasters records, and they they wrote from a kid's point of view. I mean, Charlie Brown about kids smoking in in high school.
4: That Charlie Brown, he's gonna get caught. Just your way to see.
0: Why is everybody always picking on me? I mean, they had such an amazing connection with um, a te- the teenage experience, mentality. yeah, mm-hmm.
2: youth culture,
0: yeah. And I, they weren't exploitative. It's just like it was natural for them. Lieber was a brilliant, brilliant lyricist who could you could tell a story in a minute and 55 seconds. and Stoller had the most appropriate music for it. And, and you know when it, when the Elvis movie came out and is all this stuff about how, you know Big Mama Thornton was appropriated, she didn't write Hound Dog. Two Jewish guys from from uh, Boyle Heights wrote "Hound Dog." It's not a black song per se. I mean, what song is black? Music really doesn't have a color.
2: Tell that to the charts, you know. Though know,
0: and the to, the, know. The, the, to the radio they, yeah.
2: stations and uh, to only, only the music TV industry, stations, mm-hmm. only the
0: music industry is self segregating. It's really, I mean, I guess it creates perhaps more opportunities, but in, in other ways, it creates barriers. But anyway, Lieber and Stoller made a lot of important records happen, and um, with their songwriting, and they were they were also record producers. They 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 produced quite a number of important records into the relatively modern era, they they produced uh, Stuck in the Middle. Steelers Wheel, the riff from which you hear in... More um, like
2: Stoller's Wheel.
0: Uh, Stoller's Wheel, you, you hear <laughs> in uh, I Just Want to Have Fun by Sheryl Crow. There's like that riff is there. It's the sure. same thing. <laughs>
1: And then we've got another Jerry this year. Uh, We got Jerry Wexler.
0: This guy, Jerry Wexler, I knew very, very well. He worked after his tenure at Atlantic. He worked at Warner Brothers. He produced Etta James for Warner Brothers. And I got to spend social time with him. I'll tell you just a great anecdote. I was with Etta James. They asked me to ask her questions for a, a documentary that I've still never seen. She was at the House of Blues. And they said, we can't afford to send some, we just hired a crew. You ask the questions and we'll see what the film looks like. So she <laughs> uh, backstage there, everything's fine. And she said, Oh, Jerry Wexler, Wexler, Wexler came up. Maybe, you know, what is a Wexler documentary, not an Eddie James documentary. She was to be a talking head in the Wexler documentary. So she said, you know, Jerry, I loved working with him and, um, he's, he's titled my new album. And, uh, I, I owe him for that. I said, what is the title of the, of your new album? It had not come out yet, obviously, forthcoming mm-hmm. album. And she said, oh, I can't remember it, but it's it's Yiddish. And it means means the big mother of everybody. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't know that much Yiddish, but I thought, I know the diminutive of mother is mamala, but it's not a big mother. It's a little mother. Mm-hmm. Couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. So early days of mobile phones, at least for me, I called Waxler. It picked right up. I said, I'm with Etta. She told me you titled her new album. What what is it? He goes, Matriarch of the Blues. I said, well, Latin, (laughs) Yiddish. Certainly not
4: Yiddish. But
0: But anyway, Wexler, beyond that, was a very, very adept record producer. You know, he had his hand in a lot of different projects, brought Willie Nelson back from the dead in in some way by signing him to Atlantic Records, a non-country label. You know a really uh, adept guy, and he told me how to produce a record. He goes, "Here's what you do, baby. By the way, always use the biggest possible word. That's a Wexler thing. The elucidation uh-huh. I'm about to impart, very thick Bronx accent." And he said, "Here's how. You, here's how you produce a record. Get a band leader, and tell him what you want, and preferably that band leader is a drummer. That was it. That's how mm-hmm. we how you produce." A <laughs> Interesting. Well,
2: I just see on his Wikipedia in under personal life. Asked by a documentary filmmaker several years before his his death, what he wanted on his tombstone, Wexler replied, "quote two words, more bass."
0: More bass. Okay. More bass. Okay. I go. wonder
2: if they. I, I. I. It sounds like they maybe didn't. Uh, didn't come through for him on that. I feel like there'd be some I kind know. of meme out there if someone. Well, <laughs> oh,
1: we got to look for it. I guess more based on their, the Wexler uh, effect, yeah. anyway. Yeah, um, but you know, Aretha is, is someone that he's associated with, and he
0: was a music journalist before he got into uh, the talent scout and record production business. Worked for Billboard. He and so did. Um, so was John Hammond. He was also a journalist. He worked for um, British paper. It could have been. Early, you know, in the 1930s, Melody Maker, or something like that, and, and jazz uh, publications as well.
2: Not Do you ready. know what it actually says on his tombstone? What's that? It says, he he changed the world. Oh. Wow. Very, yeah. Jerry Wexler, 1917 amazing. to 2008, he changed the world. That's, I, that's... I, I...
0: I have figured out my tombstone already.
2: Oh, what's it going what? to say? It's going Truck to have week. my
0: name and my dates. And the space between the dates is going to be very, very long. And then in the, after that, it's going to say, he knew a little bit about everything with an asterisk. And the asterisk can have a very small type at the bottom, except math. That's it. <laughs> All right.
2: Have you put this into your uh, into your wishes, into your will?
0: No, I just tell people all the time, hoping okay. they'll do the right thing when the time comes. Yeah, okay, tell well, enough we'll see people. If ben
2: comes I don't free, want to codify
0: though. that, you know, it's <laughs> too morbid. All right, let's go to
1: 1988. We don't have to spend a ton of time. The Mr. aforementioned Gordy. Barry Gordy Jr., Mr. Gordy, uh, you know, Motown Records. And uh, also a
0: songwriter before he formed Motown. He mm-hmm. he worked with Jackie Wilson and uh, he wrote Read Petite, which is kind of great. Oh, I just listened to it yesterday.
1: 1989, we've got potentially the most uh, famous record producer of all time, Phil Spector.
0: And I can say to you from personal experience to know him is, in fact, to love him.
1: Okay, appropriate. Oh. You know, the Wall of Sound, I think everybody knows, uh, you know, one of the most visible and, and prominent record producers hands on a lot of great records and then 1990 we get and we've talked about this quite a bit because of her recent reinduction but Jerry Goffin and Carol King were inducted as songwriters a year after Carol King was on the ballot as a performer
0: for the first time I mean I have no argument with this based on their body of work it's it's great and they did the right thing by having Goffin with King because she sure. was a lyricist and just great at it. And it's strange that Mrs. Goffin was both uh, in as a non-performer and a performer. How can you be both? It's an oxymoron, but she obviously deserves it.
1: Yeah, it's reconciling the the weirdness, I think, of this category.
0: So strange.
1: And just a a fun little note, uh, Jerry Goffin wrote the lyrics of You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, the title of which came up by oh, Jerry, Wexler. Jerry Wexler he
0: said hey baby write a song called natural woman like okay we'll and in
1: 1990 it. we've also got we got some more songwriters we've got Holland Dozier Holland most associated with the uh aforementioned Motown records
0: yeah wrote many amazing Motown hits and uh after they had a there was a schism with Mr gordy they went on to found two record labels one was Invictus Records, distributed by Capital, and the other was Hot Wax, distributed by Buddha. And both were a source of lots of hits. So the formula was with them, as well as with the players at Motown, who were, you know, the Funk Brothers, the Corporation, mm-hmm. the Andantes. They should be in background singers at Motown. New, oh, yeah. Play.
2: What a name, Holland Dozier Holland. So that's a trio of yep. people?
0: Eddie Holland. Lamont Dozier and Brian Holland. Eddie Holland had a hit called "Jamie" on his own. Oh,
4: Jamie. Jamie. Oh, Talking about Jamie. Jamie.
0: And Lamont had more than one hit. Uh, one of which was called "Fish Ain't Biting." After the Motown era, uh, for him anyway, he it, he takes a, a a swipe at Nixon in that song. He's there you go. Meanwhile, Tricky Dick is trying to get slick. Fish ain't biting. Anyway, br- brilliant, brilliant songwriters, primarily. Uh,
1: 1991, we've got Dave Bartholomew.
0: Who made records. He was a band. I'm like, that
2: sounds just like a nondescript person, you know, oh, yeah. like Dave Bartholomew. It just sounds like a guy.
0: <laughs> well, it is a guy, but it, what, what he like, was, he made was records. <laughs> famous New Orleans band leader. And really the brains behind Fats Domino's rise. You know, he created the context for Fats Domino, who was, could be argued, one of the first crossover artists. He was beloved by all, and his his music had very, very broad appeal, and Dave Bartholomew helped make it so. I don't know that Fats Domino would have broken through had it not been for Dave Bartholomew, and um, well-deserved. We've also
1: got, in 1991, Ralph Bass,
0: Ralph Bass existed as an AR and man for both King and um, Chess Records, so a lot of the stuff on King was, um, you know, roots music, uh, meaning R&B really, but lots of country too, and Ralph Bass was hugely important in making those records come to life. And I don't know what the tra- trajectory was, but he went from King to Chess and had an equivalently successful career doing a and at chess so i i have no issue with ralph bass plus his last name looks like bass depending on how you say and that's it. musical uh, yeah. speaking of
1: speaking of last names we have our second erdogan we got
0: Nasuhi. Uh, this one i'm i understand that he's in why he's in and that he was a man of great achievement that achievement was not primarily in the rock and roll field except right. for the fact that he was an, a partner in atlantic records which was a rock and roll label but his job at atlantic was to develop a jazz division which he did very very successfully but it's not the jazz hall of fame so this one mm-hmm. i always thought this was a little overt nepotism. But, yeah i mean you know, why, was, why
1: could that be that it
2: this is, is Erdogan, so this is Ahmed erdogan's son brother. No, brother brother
0: oh boy and okay. uh, a real music guy uh, uh, more serious perhaps than his brother but his focus was not rock and roll
1: yep let's uh let's take a quick break uh and then when we come back we will we'll keep going on this list so we will be right back Welcome back to the show everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break you did something nice for your brother. <laughs> Just did oh. a favor. Did a favor for your brother. Did a favor. All right. So we left off at 1992. We've got someone whose name, you know, will, will be obvious. Leo Fender.
2: Hmm. No. What? Oh, Oh. because of the, of the fender bender of of the. Famously the rock and roll fender bender. You want to go with that automotive imagery.
0: You know, he's the Henry Ford of the electric guitar. Yeah. Um. I I just invented that. You can use it. That's good. I think that works. Yeah. I I think he was a a better human being than Henry Ford. Let's hope. Um, Yeah. He discovered electricity. It's not the first (laughs) electric guitar, but he was able to, come up with a solid body guitar that was had a lot of appeal that didn't cost that much to manufacture by and uh, kind of revolutionized the whole notion of bands self-contained bands if yeah need an orchestra you had three four five piece band and if you had a, a fender guitar in it you you covered a lot of territory
1: yeah maybe the most iconic rock instrument, the Fender Strat, I'd say.
0: Yeah, Jimi Hendrix. Enough right? said. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's all you
1: need to see.
2: Yeah, that's one that truly makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Leo Fender made Jimi Hendrix possible, but if it hadn't been for a Fender guitar, he probably would have played another kind of guitar. That's true.
1: <laughs> uh, we've also we've got Bill Graham in 90s. Right, here's a
0: guy who monetized rock and roll, even though he came from. Uh,
2: and let's celebrate him.
0: <laughs> but he monetized in person rock and roll. You know, no one had done exactly what he, or not even close to what he had done before. A lot of these concert promotions were one shots and he had an ongoing series. It was like, uh, you know, his own little philharmonic program and the balanced music bill was always interesting to me. Instead of having, Three acts that all did the same thing. He'd have different artists in counterpoint. Uh, i have about to come up with a great, a great concert bill, but uh, he tried to illuminate. You know, I remember Charles Lloyd and I don't know the Beach Boys or somebody like that. He was kind of ecumenical in his booking uh, policies, for better or worse. I think for better. And um, you might you might discover somebody for whom you didn't buy a ticket, but then you found out they were okay. And um, you know, not a warm and cuddly guy, but got the job done. You know, thought highly of himself. That's not a crime. <laughs> really, really, not re- in really roll, made least. the whole rock and roll um, the whole rock and roll concert business uh, a business rather than a, a sporadic kind of scattershot shot way of, of presenting music, live music.
1: If you go to San Francisco, you'll see a lot of things named after Bill Graham, like the Bill Graham Civic yeah, Auditorium, true. among other things. Yeah. Uh, okay,
0: now we've got 1992, we've got Doc Pomas by himself. Which makes no sense to me. Great guy. And, and you know, it's not intentional, but he, he was such a warm guy. People kind of were attracted to him, with whom th- he didn't work. And I'm thinking of um, Willie Deville from Mink Deville and Lou Reed just worshiped him.
2: Well, when you put his name into Google, I've been Googling and just kind of keeping up on like who all these people are and all of that as we're going along. And you put in the word Doc POM and then the rest of it auto fills, sure. f- fills in Doc Pomus and Mort Schumann. Exactly. Or- yeah,
0: and that's the problem. Mort Schumann wrote the lyrics, he's brilliant. Think about this magic moment. Save the last dance for me. This guy is a brilliant He's lyricist. So save the last dance for me. But he wasn't a careerist in the music business. He went to medical school in, um, I think, in France. And he did a couple of records himself. And he had, he affiliated with Jacques Brel. He was not, you know, a narrow-focused guy. But he, he is the co-writer of many hugely important and you know earth-shaking songs and they left him out I don't think it's right and I I, I think the world of Doc Pomus, I really do a guy who was um afflicted with polio and he he was on crutches and he it's not his real name by the way his 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 last name is Felder I can't think of his first name but he wanted to be a blues artist which is unusual for a guy on crutches mm. of any kind. Sure. White guy on crutches, white Jewish guy on crutches, white Jewish guy on crutches in New York, but he did it. And um, he was a blues shouter in the uh, old style, but he's, I think, I mean, I know he's inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because of his songwriting prowess, right. uh, having written for Elvis and Fabian. You got to love that. Sure. And Dion and lots of other artists. Uh, I, you know, you can, you can Wikipedia him. Yes, there, there's, um, there's, there's many no, things to peruse. I don't know why Mark Schumann's not in. It makes no yeah. sense.
1: Well, we'll put, we'll put a pin in that. Yeah. 1993, we've got one of the more famous names on here, Dick Clark, American Bandstand. I mean, what else, what else is there to say?
0: Uh, definitely <laughs> belongs because he, you know, found a way to market rock and roll and, and unabashedly so, didn't dress it up as something else. You know, he, he was the conduit to get rock and roll on television on a regular basis. And, you know, there was some kind of, he was the clean version of Alan Freed. insofar as he didn't have to take the fall for Paolo when mm-hmm. in fact he was involved, but um, mm-hmm. oh, he, he found a way to get out of it, but that does not uh, diminish his achievements as a presenter. I, they should him. put
2: Don Cornelius in. Is he in?
1: No, but he no, should be. I agree with you. Man,
2: either. he should really be in. If oh. we got Dick Clark in, it just only follows. I think. Well, they you know, should... I mean,
0: without Dick Clark, there would be no Don Cornelius. Well, he exactly. He woke up one day and said, "I want to do that for black music," and yeah. he did, and which was great. And...
2: and it was like you know, obviously, like very influential in. And... Yeah many uh people's so, careers and lives and
0: yeah, i think dick clark as a, a popularizer of rock and roll irrespective of what his personal stake was apart from the tv show because he did have one was very very significant you know definitely belongs but so too does ed sullivan for the same reason ed oh, yeah. sullivan gave a national oh, yeah. platform for rock and roll and he made rock and roll Something that the mainstream had to deal with. I, he didn't make it. Uh, he didn't, to the great extent, didn't. I mean, he kind of tried to tone it down for the quote family audience. But you know, he put Elvis and the Beatles and the Stones, and yeah. yeah, these are iconic moments. No, you know? he brought it to the masses. I mean,
2: I'm. You're not going to hear me say no, yeah. no and you, to. You uh, find
0: people in my generation who can tell you exactly where they saw either Elvis or the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Where were you? Where I'm in my right. Parents' living room. I was at my friend's house and it's one of I know those where moments. I thought the Beatles in, in boarding school, a very Dickensian boarding school. We had a fleed <laughs> to the masters. That's right. The teachers were called masters. Oh, my. Please let us watch this thing on television on Sunday night. And Mr. Nathan, that's his name, uh we learned it and we watched <laughs> it and we Nathan? like. Mr. Nathan. You're not going
2: to get a yes from him. No,
0: Nay, boy. He always said that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I bl- really? I believe it. Right out, right out of uh, Oliver Twist. But anyway, <laughs> I got to see the Beatles. It Couldn't be all bad. Let us see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan.
1: Okay. Um, also, in 1993, we've got Milt Gabler.
0: Milt Gabler, very, very famous for being uh, Billy Crystal's uncle, who right?
1: inducted him. Yeah,
0: not famous
2: be- rock musician Billy Crystal. No. But
0: besides that. <laughs> He signed Bill Haley as Comets, which was, you know, popularized rock and roll. He was His focus was mostly jazz, by the way, uh, not unlike Nesui Erdogan, but he sort of bumped into rock and roll and um, kind of leveraged his um, jazz relationships to have a means to market rock and roll on the very square Decca label, you know. When
2: he died in 2001 at age 90, the New York Times reported that the only photo at his bedside table was that of Billie Holiday.
0: Well, OK. So,
2: jazz. Yeah, I. I mean, he was
0: a jazz guy. He owned the, <laughs> he owned the Commodore Record store in, in Manhattan and he had the Commodore Record label and uh, a big innovator in jazz. But his rock and roll relationships were not awe inspiring, except, you know. The Bill Haley thing is, yeah, yeah. It's- so he was still it.
2: alive when he got inducted, though. So he mm-hmm. was quite old, but still, still alive. Did he? Do you know? Did he attend the? I, d- I
0: don't one? remember. I, I w- would
1: assume he did. Would if, if Billy, his his yeah. nephew, was doing the speech? I was
0: there, but I it just slipped my mind. I wasn't taking notes. Oh, were you? Really I was drinking there, heavily. You no know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> in
1: 1994, we have an inductee who like Carol King, had been on the ballot as a performer but was inducted as a non-performer, Johnny Otis.
0: Yeah. I mean, a very highly regarded band leader from the West Coast and was his son is Shuggy Otis who had hits of his own years and years later. Hmm. Uh, I revere him for his having brought uh, Etta James to the fore. He, he gave her a platform when she was very young. She was 14 or 15. And uh, Johnny Otis was culturally Black but ethnically greek
2: greek yeah Io- ioannis Ioannis yeah. alexandros veliotis
0: yeah he he woke up one day and said this is these are my people this is my culture and then he was perceived of as a black guy a light-skinned black guy that whole time thereafter i mean wasn't i don't think he hit it but it was not generally known and he was a great band leader putting together a lot of a lot of combinations I, I like the idea that he's in there. I wouldn't have thought of it, actually, but I like the idea that he's in there. 1995, we've got Paul Ackerman. Paul Ackerman was uh, the editor of Billboard who gave, gave a platform in the trade for rock and roll in the most serious trade magazine there, there was at the time. Instead of dismissing it as children's music, he embraced it, and Billboard, I wouldn't say they championed rock and roll, but they didn't disparage it. And he, he was also, he was kind of a visionary in terms of having um, ethnic kind of music, which includes RB and country music, uh, treated seriously. I, I think mm. he opened the major labels' eyes to the potential that uh, these kind of uh, outpost kind of genres had a market. Yeah. So, heretofore, country and RB was mostly independent labels, and thereafter, you know, labels like. Columbia and rca etc kind of got into the game to some extent
1: uh 1996 we've got tom donahue
0: tom big daddy donahue who invented daddy who invented fm radio didn't invent the technology but the notion of playing rock and roll on fm you know relatively static free radio it opened the door to the possibility of album programming rather than Mm. just hits because you know the fm format you know which was developed uh, for classical music, uh, as a platform for classical music, you could apply it to rock and roll. So this this gave way to the longer album cuts and playing full albums on radio and playing music that wasn't specifically top 40 hits but had a, had a, an appeal nonetheless. And it was concurrent with the, um, the rise of the the hippie movement. So
2: AM radio was, I don't know. I mean, I've always grown up with FM radio, but AM radio existed when I was alive. I feel like when I was a little kid and it's, yeah, yeah. I'm like, but I just, I can't imagine. Like, I remember we had like a very old truck when we lived in Tennessee, when I was a child that like had, AM was like the only It had like an eight track Mm -hmm. player and an AM radio, but like AM radio is just, it was primarily like, it was, for top hits? forty, right? Oh, okay, yeah. it was top forty, but like, well, was, was the quality because... of the the yeah, broadcast I, I
0: think because, lower? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the fidelity is better on FM. Ultimately, you could have stereo on FM. Now you can have stereo on AM, but I don't think many people care. The technology actually is more local. AM radio, you just pump up the wattage, and you can go from uh, you know the border of Texas and Mexico to Chicago. With FM, you can't. But still the the benefit is the fidelity is that much better. And it just opened the door for, well, you know, you've seen the George Carlin, uh, you know, FM radio disc jockey, you know, kind of synambulant kind of guy being too groovy. I mean, the the tone, (laughs) the literal tone was different between FM and AM in terms of what disc jockeys on FM didn't yell and scream and pump up the echo and, have a make a spectacle of themselves which I love but they were kind of they were groovier they were mellow okay mm-hmm. a little
2: more mellow. I um, guess
0: Tom Donahue was the guy who kind of developed this idea in San Francisco and he was also involved in concert promotion pre Bill Graham he discovered Sly Stone mm-hmm. as a record producer uh he discovered or uh, nurtured the Bo Brummels, who had a couple of hits that were pretty good. I
4: mean, he was
0: he was a power. He made San Francisco into something other than you know rice and roni.
4: Uh.
1: <laughs> good for him. Let's let's go to 1997. We've got Sid
0: Nathan. Sid Nathan is the founder of King Records. Very opinionated guy. Put himself on records haranguing his employees they weren't for public consumption because cincinnati is a dutch town and he i i can do him only because <laughs> i've heard this record and because seymour stein worked for him when he was a teenager
1: right and, and seymour stein inducted does him it,
0: does it, a perfect impression of sid nathan but anyway sid was a guy king records a hugely important independent label in Cincinnati, a little off the beaten path, but important because Cincinnati is where the North and the South meets on the banks of the Ohio. So a lot of r b coming up from the South and country music as well. Sid, he signed James Brown. Done. That's Done. it.
2: Uh, yeah, that's, that's all it you need. Okay, you did <laughs> it.
0: But many, many other uh, like uh, jump blues things that uh, predate the use of the term rock and roll on, on this kind of music. King is not thought of as much these days as Motown and probably chess, but it's, it's hugely important. And it was Sid's, Sid's thing. I, I think it was in the <laughs> furniture business in Cincinnati and started to sell records Wild. and make records, made them there, pressed them there. Like a, what do you call that? A vertical trust, it, you know, the means of production, everything was in, under one roof.
1: Good for him. 1998, we have an inductee that I would say if, if he was inducted now, he would be under musical excellence. Musical excellence. And that's yeah. Alan Toussaint.
0: I suppose. I, I worked very, very closely with him. I shot the uh, back cover photo on his Southern Nights album, and I got $50 for it. Pretty good. Well, O-O. well, what well. Anyway, I, I revered this guy. He was on Warner Brothers when I worked there, and I I didn't sign him. I didn't sign artists, but I found out about him and I realized, wow, he's the same guy who wrote all these amazing records and produced them and has heard on them, including uh, Lee Dorsey, uh, Benny Spellman, The Meters. So he was the embodiment of the New Orleans sound, uh, you know, a syncopated piano kind of approach, great piano player. He wrote Whipped Cream that um, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass did, you know, a novelty mm-hmm. instrumental. Great, great piano player in the footsteps of Professor Longhair, and just the most musical person I ever met. He just thought in musical terms, real gentle guy. I wrote his memorial piece for Billboard. They never paid me for it. Um, <laughs> but I was happy. Uh, I was, come
2: on, you got 50 bucks for the back I know, album so cover, I'm just and you
0: ended really on Billboard. $50 for the next yeah. 40 years. But uh, just an amazing guy. And I was really happy to have played some role in telling people. Who, why you should know who this person is really really important and, and music you're right about musical excellence because that he's the embodiment of it
1: that would fit uh, perfectly yeah uh, 1999 the producer of the Beatles George Martin I mean what else do you really have to say i uh, yeah.
0: uh, no no issue with this he made their records as good as they could be yeah uh, with perhaps limited resources and when they decided to branch out he helped them turn what they did into more than just you know two guitars bass and drums it was he he turned them into an orchestral entity that changed the world and continues to he's a, he's really important a real mm-hmm. visionary
1: the year 2000 we've got very famous record man clive davis
0: yeah i mean he's a record man in so far as he was very i mean he's the guy who Ran uh, CBS Records, Columbia, and Epic, left under a cloud, and came back, took over the remnants of the Bell label, and turned that into Arista Records, and you know many many hits. His big forte is perhaps overseeing song selection. Song
2: selection. For I re- I his... watched the documentary yeah. about him,
0: um, and that. But, that's, but that tells you that if, it's, if song selection is the be-all and end-all, what if you're a self-contained act? You write your own songs and your songs are not selected. It becomes kind of <laughs> a, um, a paradox. So, you know, I don't know that he is the guy who actually selected this song because Barry Manilow was on Bell Records before the um, Clive Davis takeover and the, the change to Arista. But, you know, Barry Manilow's song... I write the songs that the whole world sings. Not written by him. He didn't write it. That's amazing. To Gets me. my goat. Yeah. <laughs> I write the
4: songs that make the whole
0: world sing. You know, Barry Mamelow was a very, very competent songwriter, but not that for that one. one. His song, so, like, that's very clever that someone thought. Sing this, not your own song. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, uh, you know, turning Whitney Houston into, you know, a huge icon, etc. You know, he's said uh, a lot of career guidance offered by Clive Davis. For uh, sure. Not particularly a musical person himself, as far as I know. But
1: you might even call him a non-performer.
0: You you, uh-huh. hang, you, you <laughs> hang around a drugstore long enough, you know what the prescriptions are.
1: There you go. Uh, Two thousand one, we've got of uh, Island Records, Chris Blackwell.
0: Well, I in my mind, I I'd induct him just for the fact that he put out My Boy Lollipop by <laughs> Millie Small. But <laughs> that seems for so us, sorry. it seems like you made
1: that up <laughs> to make <Yeah>. us laugh.
0: <laughs> you, you don't you don't know that record? It's no. the greatest. It's it's a. Pro- it's a proto ska record, came out in probably 1962 by a little girl from England who was of Jamaican like, parentage. <laughs> It took me, oh, 50 oh years to find gosh. out it's not an original <laughs> song, it's a cover of a of an American RB record that I'd never heard. Oh, um, my god, I, I don't know who's saying
2: but... the phrase. Well, I think he should be in just because he put out my boy Lollipop. I mean, it is as if I were trying to write a parody line for you, for to, you, say.
0: you to say. <laughs> That's what I have to <laughs> like, say.
2: I'm so I'm programmed,
0: great. and then thereafter, so he, Chris Blackwell, is Jamaican but he was based in uh, in England. And he found other Jamaicans who, for whom he gave a recording platform, including, uh, you know, Bob Marley and Jimmy Cliff. And then he branched out into non-reggae, non-ska stuff and signed Traffic and um, Cat too. Stevens. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And he was like a great music man. I mean, I
2: got to thank him for bringing Ska to Yeah, you had a Ska phase. I'm like, let's go. All right, Chris Blackwell, you're in. Yeah, and his
0: his autobiography is out now. And my friend, Paul Issa, who lives in Jamaica, said, have you read Chris Blackwell's autobiography? And I said, no, and he sent it to me. Not from Jamaica. Amazon will deliver anything. Um, Mm -hmm. And I met Mr. Blackwell several times. I shouldn't say Mr. Blackwell, that was a fashion- Yeah, uh, you're back here you're with a, Mr. Yeah. <laughs> Gordy. I met and he became a big hotelier and it just interesting. I went to his uh, hotel in um, in Jamaica and uh, got to hang out with him a little bit. Very courtly fellow and uh, shows no sign of stopping.
1: In 2002, we've got an induction that really sticks in our craw because of an exclusion.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. You so can't, you, got uh, the, you got the ST of stacks, but so you don't have the AX
1: of stacks. Jim Stewart is inducted uh, from Stax Records, but there is a second half to that, which is his sister Estelle Axton, who was axed. She was com- and she was not included for
0: some reason that we can't really One of
2: the biggest oversights I don't understand I, why I truly I mean, cannot understand this
0: I, I don't know about the workings of the company in the early days when it was satellite records what her you know how hands-on she was but they together they said we're going to do this they did it
2: if you and watch it, the package I talk about this enough I will just the brief version of it is you watch the package in the 2002 induction ceremony or whatever year that was mm-hmm. yeah. and. Yeah. You see, in the package, they say Estelle's name every so many time because they are talking about the yeah, record label. And
1: every point, every I, I don't of understand that. why no she reason, was left out.
2: It's crazy to me. I I, I just. I cannot believe right, that let's this go is the still to
0: and throw up a picket line. What do you say? I'm going.
2: You know, you know me. I'm I'm down to protest. Just, let's go justice
0: for Estelle.
2: Justice for Estelle. Let's I agree. do this. I
0: agree. You know. Okay. And obviously, all right, well, we've got
2: a three-person anyway, picket we can line. All our agree, fans will be there. Everyone will be there.
0: Yeah, we we all agree. Stax Records was. We can a all, great all agree revival. that Stax Records was a powerhouse of soul music whose influence endures to this very day. Sam and
1: Dave Isaac Hayes, etc uh 2003 we've got your
0: former boss mo austin mo austin mo austin has no musical ability of which i'm aware but what he is great at is running a, an enterprise that lets people be as creative as their as they dare to be uh, and that includes or it, it, it's very specific to the artists on the label and this was Warner Brothers Warner Brothers Records and reprise he came from the reprise side when they when the two merged so his policy his his philosophy was if you believe in in your artists and I suppose your executives let them do what you think there's what what they have a vision to do and often that will uh, bear fruit and it's true it did uh, in many circumstances. I, I mean, I still feel like I'm his corporate spokesperson. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm <laughs> ultra loyal to him. But even if I can be dispassionate about it, he really just did change things by, by not being hands-on the way Clive Davis. Kind of an b- anti-Clive. Himself. He's, and they're, they're friendly to each other, by the way. But because he figured, you know, let the creative people be as creative as possible and something of worth will result from that. And um plenty, plenty of hits resulted from that. Warner Brothers was kind of an also ran, despite the fact that it was a major label and didn't really have much of a rock and roll focus at inception. Uh, but ultimately, and, and reprise didn't either because you know Frank Sinatra didn't really like rock and roll, but Mo prevailed and um things changed over the years. During his tenure, I'd say, and you know, it seems like it's um Self-serving, but Warner Brothers became the 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 most significant rock label of of a of an era because because of that philosophy.
1: Yeah, an inductee who was so meaningful that he got two speeches. People wanted to induct yeah, that's, him. I'm
2: looking at this. I'm like the inductors for him. Were- so, Lauren
1: Michaels and Paul Simon gave a a rambling speech together, and then Neil Young gave a separate speech. Because they, they all wanted to do it. They all liked Mo. That's and and a much...
0: the amazing thing is Neil Young is very dismissive about record company stuff.
1: Right, yeah, In for general. him to go to bat for yeah, a like suit, so to speak. He
0: volunteered to do that. Wow, that's, you know, Yeah. he's above the fray, typically.
1: Yeah, 2004, we've got a guy named Jan Wenner. Who okay, come, who's
2: that? He's come
1: up on this show. <laughs> you know,
0: this sounds self-serving too, because he was one of the founders of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but- it's true that what Tom Donahue did for radio, Jan Wenner did for print, made a platform for rock music to be treated seriously, well, vaguely seriously, and not as a um, a novelty or something for the kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that was important. I mean, uh, you know, I never really worked for him. I never was a contributor to any of his outlets that I can remember. But... I mean, it was an, an important forum. And as a publicist, there was none more important in my early days as a PR guy for uh, for Warner Brothers. You know, if it got in Rolling Stone, you're like- You're set. You're, you're somewhat established with the anti-establishment.
2: Mm-hmm. Established right. with the anti-establishment. I, I
0: you know, I mean, he, was, he had the vision to do this and it, it worked for many, many, many years. So- mm-hmm. Certainly, I, think, I mean- The demographics they all... caught up with him. It's kind of yeah. like- you can think Santana is the most important thing in the world, but people born 25 <laughs> years after um, Black Magic Woman was a hit, they don't relate. So it's not,
1: although there was a little song called Smooth. So yep, <laughs> don't forget. All right, I, I just pulled Santana <laughs> out of my hat. a bad example. Um, 2005, uh, Frank Barcelona.
0: Frank Barcelona, this is a little bit insider trading. Aspect. Yeah, he was on the board. <laughs> but I understand the reason. I mean, I can, it's not egregious, but it's it's questionable. What he did was develop the modern agency for rock, the uh, touring uh, agency. So he had a stable of artists that were very, very powerful, and he could go and make deals on their behalf with local promoters. And I guess that's swell, but he was the most powerful guy in the agency business mm-hmm. in rock music. I don't, I don't have much insight beyond that, except his roster of artists speaks for itself. There's, there's a lot of big names, including the who, you know, of Frampton and people like that. But, uh, Sure, my world, but I Famously understand why he, yeah. he's very yeah. important in that world.
1: But also 2005, we've got the, the first inductee who has been on this show, Seymour <laughs> Stein. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and we love Seymour. And we, we love we,
0: Seymour because he does the greatest Sid Nathan impression. And that's why he's <laughs> in the and, hall. You know, as an A&R man, uh, really, what a track record this guy had. And also pretty non-interventionist along Mo Austin, even though He's not fond of Mo Austin, non interventionist <sighs> as as Mo had as a policy. Right. So
1: he because didn't Sire found- Records was under the umbrella of Warner
0: Brothers. Yes, ah. ultimately, ultimately it was. He was founded as an independent, but then Warner. It was
2: Brothers. the sire of Warner Brothers. No, no,
0: Sire is um, <laughs> uh, Seymour, Cy, and uh, Richard, Richard Goddard, his original par- partner. Oh, right. boy.
2: Yeah. Erasure. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs>
0: Don't don't take up a collection for Richard Goddard.
2: I wouldn't <laughs>
0: because Believe
2: you mean there'll never be a time when a record <laughs> executive gets a collection because from this me. guy, a collect call, maybe he
0: Produced Blondie and he, he, he co-wrote my boyfriend's back and he was in the strange but back to Seymour, you know, a great AR man. I mean, it's as simple as that. He's he, the, the, his signings are phenomenal. His batting average is great. Of course he signed everybody he could. So we had more chance to, <laughs> yeah. um, to. But you know,
1: we're talking about artists like the Talking Heads and the Pretenders and the Ramones and then also Madonna and Ice-T. He's got a real yeah. broad range.
0: Yeah. Very open-minded guy and nothing nothing scared him off. You know, he'll just go for it when, when possible. His big battle was to get Warner Brothers to agree to put these things out because he was clogging up their release schedule. But uh, let's get clogged up with... Uh, with more uh, Tom Tom Club records and uh, the Cure, Echo, yeah, and the Bunnymen.
2: Like, I'm like these are. He was very big. It looks like New Wave was really yeah. like.
0: Um, he he was the guy who said let's let's not call it punk. We'll call it New Wave because mm. um, punk seems pejorative to him. Right. So interesting. Um, so and then people made the after the fact they they kind of defined one versus the other. So we know we know the Sex Pistols are punk but we think the talking heads are new wave, but you know, it's just, you know, it's really all the same. It's not all the same. It's different. The attack is different, but you Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's new and innovative and not what had gone before.
2: Ice T said about him in his autobiography, he's cut from a cloth of the old time music executives like Clive Davis, but he's way more eccentric, a little more bizarre, a bit more avant-garde, more of an edgy cat.
0: Edgy cat. That, we love an edgy that. cat.
2: That's uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you. I see. And thank you, Seymour.
0: He's a, he was a risk taker. albeit yeah. often with other people's money. But, you know, <laughs> if he took a lot of risks and they didn't pan out, he wouldn't he'd be out of a gig. So he it, it worked. There you go. Old style record guy. And you don't see them anymore. So I, I revere him. 2006,
1: we've got the A&M from A&M Records, Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss.
0: Yeah, and you think of herb alpert as a middle of the road kind of artist himself but he and um adler and sam cook wrote wonderful world so he was very well versed in early rock and roll and I
4: know that if you love me too the world this
0: would be. And he's a real musician, obviously. He's not making believe he's playing trumpet, but basically, they're inducted as a huge independent record company that had a vision and gave the majors a real run for their money for many, many years. And it was founded on the hits of Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, but they branched out and apart from other things of that stripe, meaning the Baja Marimba Band, et cetera, they rolled the dice on on rock and roll and went into business with with Blackwell by licensing a lot of Island stuff early on, Frampton and uh, Cat Stevens and so on. They were super open-minded about uh, their A&R, and it paid off in a big, big way. And I remember going into a record store in Berkeley in 1960. Nine And they had, it was discount records in Berkeley and it said, you know our meat now try our potatoes and the meat was her belt and the Tijuana brass and the potatoes was Joe Cocker and things like that. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. It's funny I mean, that's good. No, nobody Kinda buys like records because they're on a given record label for the most part but they were trying to say we are not who you think we are
1: nice 2008 we've got kenny gamble and leon huff gamble and huff
0: great i mean a great great amazing production team you know you know them from philadelphia international records where harold melvin and the blue notes T.S. tn mfsb the sound of philadelphia by mfsb As, as well as um, the OJ's and many other acts, little-known fact is that their first hit as a producing team was not an r b record. It was Expressway to Your Heart Expressway by the Soul Survivors, who, despite their name, were not black guys. They were white guys, mm-hmm. but they were in, very much in the young rascals school of soulful rock and roll. And Gamble and Huff put that together. And they're just genius music producers. And they made a whole, I mean, not unlike Motown, they came out of a, to call Philadelphia backwater is ridiculous because that's where Dick Clark's from. But, you know, it's not not New York, Nashville, Mm -hmm. or LA. And they made a whole scene come out of Philadelphia and people went to Philadelphia to record who were identified with other scenes. I mean, people like Lou Rawls, And Jerry Butler. Jerry Butler is the embodiment of Chicago soul. He had to go to Philadelphia to record.
2: Oh, they wrote, uh, yeah, I'm going to make you love me. I'm going to make you love me. Oh, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Yeah.
1: A lot of great songs to their name.
0: Great songwriters, great record producers. They really know how to put a session together. Very efficiently.
1: Uh, 2010, we've got a lot of names. Uh, The the executive of this class would be David Geffen, who uh, needed it, you know. I guess
0: he's in because of his management. I mean, he he was an agency guy. Then he was a manager. Then he was a record company. Mm -hmm. He certainly was not a record producer or a songwriter or anything like that. But I suppose he sort of invented this new kind of thing to represent artists and have a lot of leverage to play sides against each other. I mean, a, a very savvy negotiator. And he had a record company <laughs> and they had hits. And I'll just leave it at that. I mean, I'm, I don't have a big issue there, but I don't see it as on, a, on, a, on par with specifically Mo Austin or Seymour Stein or Ahmed Erdogan. But he, mm-hmm. he, did, he did change things, and it, he, he, he made A&R people stars. He, he had a and guys who worked for him and women who worked for him, who he gave full reign, and, you know, he backed them up. His talent was not in signing artists. It was in signing talent scouts. And he did sign big artists, but, you know, he signed Donna Summer and Elton John, and he signed John Lennon, but they were already established. You know, that just took a big checkbook. But sure. when he had his minions go out and sign Guns and Roses, who would have known? Mm-hmm. But,
1: or Nirvana, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. You know he's got a lot of buildings out here.
1: He sure does. And let's and get he puts him his name on a too. lot of
0: buildings. But he does a yep. lot of good things in terms mm-hmm. of philanthropy. So you know, if you want your name on a building, if that helps. Okay.
1: 2010. Also, it seemed like there was a big swath of songwriter
0: uh, yeah, inductions.
1: Clearly. We've got Otis Blackwell.
0: Otis Blackwell, don't Be cruel. Don't be cruel. It's true and uh, great balls of fire. This guy was the songwriting power behind some of the most important rockabilly songs of all time, and like his name, he was an African American guy who just knew how to deliver. Mm-hmm. He, he made records himself, but they were not that significant. But what he did for other people was overwhelmingly significant.
1: We've also got the team of Jeff Berry and Ellie Greenwich.
0: Great, phenomenal songwriting team. And along the lines of who we talked about before, Goffin and King. Again, a guy and a girl, a lyricist and a melodicist, or or doing both, who happened, they were married, so were Goffin and King. I mean, they were just really, they were great uh, craftspersons. They just knew how to do that. They wrote Be My Baby. Stop. A,
4: yeah.
0: Amazing. And, and then the Archies.
4: Sugar.
2: Oh, honey,
0: honey. No, don't be mad at them for doing the Archies. <laughs> when pop music. I'm not was... mad at them for doing I never.
2: love the Archies. I truly think they're fine.
0: I'd never be mad. Is, when pop music is needed. Call in professionals, call in Jeff and Ellie. Uh,
1: and in the similar vein, we've got Barry Mann and Cynthia Wilde in this right, class.
0: Who who are still active to this day, and they are capable of writing very schmaltzy records. And uh, they are capable of writing, you know, earth-shaking records, including uh, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. I love, I love Cynthia is not, to my knowledge, a vocalist at all. Barry is and he had a great hit on his own which was a send up of rock and roll called who put the bomb in the Bump, shabba who
3: put the bomb in the bomb Bomb the, bump, the bump. who put the rhyme in the rama a ding the... he was
0: goofing on rock and roll while creating rock and roll yeah right. and
1: yeah. it was a big hit and he had no interest in pursuing a career from what they say you know that he he could have to
0: say but you know it's great they're they're phenomenal and in the um Beauty, the Carol King musical, beautiful. Man and Wild provide comic relief. The Man and mm-hmm. Wild characters provide comic relief. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's um, a hypochondriac, apparently. <laughs> and he's portrayed- um,
1: And we have a, a wrong is righted in 2010. We finally Mort get Schuman. Mort Schumann Schuman. to be with with Doc Thomas as now the complete writing team. Now, when will
2: we get... Estelle. Estelle.
1: Yeah, we're still waiting. I don't still, know. We time is ticking. No. I don't. Uh, Let's do it. And then also 2010, we've got Jesse Stone.
0: Uh, Jesse Stone, a very important songwriter who I believe Ahmed Erdogan kind of found out about and employed his services to provide um, Atlantic acts with hits. I know really, you know, proto rock and roll people revere him. I don't know as much about him as I might. But, you know, having done a little bit of research on him, I understand how important he was.
1: Mm-hmm. I think shake, rattle, and roll is the yeah, one that right. they cite it's- most often. Shake,
0: rattle, and roll.
1: Shake, rattle, and roll. And then we get to 2011. We've got Jack Holzman of Electra
0: Records. Jack was a, a visionary. He was interested in the record business because of his interest in audio. He, he, he was a high-fidelity geek early on in the 50s. And he wanted to make sonically pure records, so he went out and made records. It was kind of the, the tail wagging the dog. And then he got into <laughs> rock and roll. I mean, Electra was a strange label at inception. It was licensed European classical repertoire and folk music. I think he recorded folk music because it was it was cheap to record. And then his eyes opened up to, to rock and roll and uh, moved to the West Coast where... He signed Love. So if, if the group Love. Love. Who should be in the group. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wonderful, team, wonderful group. Or having created the best freestanding coherent album of all time. Forever, Forever. Changes. The mm-hmm. best album ever made. There, I said it. My drop. Match up from Pet Sounds. That's how great it is. Wow. And he signed them and then they turned him onto the doors and, you know, Electra became a big powerhouse. But he was an interesting guy and into his dotage and he's still with us. He's always interested in audio. That was a big, big fixation of his. They called him the quad father. All right, Quadrified. <laughs> <you know, laughs> I like thing, that. But he tried. Yeah. He, loves, he loves technology. So it was an, you know precursor to uh, the technocrats who kind of run the business now.
1: Um, also 2011, we got Someone who we lost recently at the age of 104. One. Art,
0: 104. 104. Oh, I, I I gave him I took three years off his
1: yeah. His brief <laughs> life. <laughs> at the age of 104.
0: Art Roop. Art Roop. What can I say? Little Richard, done. Most important thing he anyone could have done is foist little Richard on the world. It's just a great record man in the in the Sid Nathan style of, you know. Go find him, release him, and follow up. And he had, uh, and we're talking about specialty records, which is the home of Little Richard and Lloyd Price and um, Boney Maroney, um, um, Larry Williams. I
3: got a girl named Boney Maroney.
0: A lot of gospel records, very important. I mean, he specialty was primarily a gospel record, which, you know, a Hungarian Jew would know how to run a gospel label, wouldn't, wouldn't they? <laughs> Why not? And... But, you know, the gospel was a jumping off point for rock and roll. Sam Cooke, the Soul Stirrer, is also on specialty. Look at That's that. That's it. Sam Cooke and Little Richard, stop. He yeah, did it. done.
1: No, <laughs> no need to continue. Um, but he did. But he, he sure did. 2012, speaking of the Archies, uh, we got Don Kirshner.
0: Don Kirshner. You know what? Interesting guy because he worked within the system, so to speak. Grooming artists who were signed to major labels. So, you know, he's the guy behind uh, Connie Francis. Mm. Uh, he was involved with Bobby Darren very early on. But then he was a, a visionary in terms of being a music publisher and sought great uh, songwriters, including uh, Neil Sedaka and uh, Goffin and King. And, but he did
2: not. And he's also a character in Beautiful Musical. <laughs> uh, yeah. He, yeah.
0: He didn't rest on his laurels. I mean, having been, having a label, Dimension Records, a music publishing empire. And then why not have a TV show and be its own host? As terrible as he was at it, it was kind of great. And he gave Paul Schaefer a great character. When Tony Orlando came to the Bat mitza of my daughter, I knew then that a star was in the making. Anyway, he was the guy uh, behind Dawn. He really found new ways to get rock and roll out to the general public that nobody had thought of before and uh apparently was a straight shooter in terms of business
1: all right well there you go speaking of speaking of characters in beautiful the musical in 2013 we've got lou adler
0: yeah lou adler was seemed to be everywhere in rock history having been i mentioned uh one of the writers of sam cook's beautiful world, don't know much about history, but he did know a lot about music publishing. One of the founders of Dunhill Records where it went to the mamas and papas who he cultivated. But very importantly, Jan and Dean, Don't Laugh. Na, 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 na. Jan and Dean, the Beach Boys, wouldn't sound like what they sounded like. People think of Jan and Dean as a knockoff of the Beach Boys. It's the other way around. Brian Wilson really had high esteem for um, Jan Berry of Jan and Dean there. I've melded (laughs) it in my mind. But besides that, so music publisher, talent scout, manager, Monterey Pop Festival, and huge Lakers fan. I mean, he invented the Monterey Pop Festival, so he started the whole notion of uh, rock in a festival context. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. that festival was nonprofit and it's still generating money today for various charities, etc. so oh, that's great.
1: And this is all not to mention that he produced tapestry, you know.
0: Yeah, and record producer Chichen Shang, he married a rock star. He married Shelley Fabre, who mm. had a hit with Johnny Angel. I'm just no right. things I'm
2: sorry. <laughs>
0: And then later would be
1: on the show, Coach. Wow. Oh. Yeah, she was She was an actor.
0: Oh, actor, Shelley singer. was on Coach, yeah. She, yeah. I was like, was on... Lou
2: Adler was on Coach? Oh, no, no, no,
0: no Shelly. Shelly his ex-wife. Shelly Fabre.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that was Coach's wife. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. she was on the Donna Reed show. <laughs> <laughs> right, She's yeah, a, she was kind she of. Was a, a young in, TV star when he married her.
1: Um. Also, 2013, you know, maybe doesn't need any type of introduction or description. Quincy Jones.
0: Q, baby. Q. I mean, well, w- here you go. Are you ready for this? If only for having produced. Say it. It's my Leslie party. Leslie Gore. Leslie yeah. Gore.
4: That's right,
1: of <laughs> It's
0: my party, and i cry if I want to. Cry if I want to. Wolf Jazz to, Guy gets hired by a major label. Like, here produced this pop girl and he comes up with, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to, and you don't own me. It's duty's turn to cry. He was great at it
4: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, did not you know, belittle her. He realized she had a, a monumental vocal talent and he made mm-hmm. the most of it. So that's Leslie Gore. And then of course, went on to do lots of other things, both under his own name. You know, he was one of the first guys to come up with the idea of you make an album, your name is on it, but you're not heard on it overtly. You know, you <laughs> enlist other artists to, you know, do the vocals, etc. Uh, right. So he, he didn't, he had Quest Records was a vehicle for that. And, uh, and he produced all these huge Michael Jackson hits.
1: And oddly enough, the musical excellence category existed at this time. I would say put him in that one versus non-performer. Because he is a
0: performer, you know. Yeah, very much. You go out so. there on yes. a festival and conduct the orchestra. You'd pay money to buy a ticket with his name on it. Mm-hmm. So who? So I don't know. I got I very
2: know. into stuff like that. When I was going on a deep Shaka dive yeah. last year, I got really into stuff like that. That is a yeah bop of all times. What yeah. a great song. He's cool.
1: Yeah, he is cool. 2014, we have uh, a pair of managers, Brian Epstein of The Beatles and Andrew Luke Oldham of The Rolling Stones. This is when things just are boring. Sorry,
0: this is like... This <laughs> is like um, Sam Phillips, you know? They helped the Big Bang uh, for their respective... I mean, Oldham actually worked for Epstein at one time. Mm-hmm. And uh, both... Visionary guys. They're like, we're
2: done. We've inducted all of the Beatles in every way we possibly can. What else can we do?
0: Put Michael Lindsay-Hogg in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, let's get everybody from Get Back. I'm not even yeah. kidding about that. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, like enough said. Yeah, right. like they they managed uh, to the two big rock bands of all time. Really great character too. He had a radio show on Sirius. Very mm-hmm. good. Very, lots of insight. Great guy.
1: Uh, in 2016, we had the induction of Bert
0: Burns. Burt Burns, uh, whose estate, or whose son and their endeavor was my client in recent times. He founded Bang Records. Burns, B-A-N-G. Uh, wait a minute. Bert. I was like, Amit, that is
2: not the worst. <laughs> Jeffrey
0: and Gerald. Okay. So, the Atlantic guys were his partners in starting Bang Records, but they big, had a big falling out. This isn't the place to discuss it, but he he came up with a lot of amazing hit records, both as a producer and uh, as a songwriter. Many songs written under a different name, Bert Russell, including "Twist and Shout," which people think is a Beatles record. It's an Isley Brothers record. And it actually was a top notes record produced by Phil Spector before, which was not a hit, didn't sound half as good as the Isley Brothers' first version of it. And um a piece of Hang my on, heart, Sloopy. blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. It's- They should make a movie about this guy. Oh, they did. It's called Bang, the Burt Burns story. I highly recommend it.
1: And then after that, we get to inductees that we've talked about on this show because our show has existed. You know, Irving Azoff and John Landau, another pair of managers. Azoff, most famously the Eagles, but a lot of uh, different artists. And Landau, most famously Bruce. Uh, And then, you know, we have a whole episode about Clarence Avant. You can listen to that. And then in in the coming weeks... We will be talking about Alan Grubman, Jimmy Iovine, Sylvia Robinson. So let's take them in that reverse that.
0: order. how <laughs> <laughs> with Sylvia Robinson, who I assume is being inducted because she had a record label with her husband Joe Robinson. Yeah. Sugar that Hill was, was the place where hip hop putatively began with yeah. the Sugar Hill Gang, etc. All platinum records. Uh, well, all platinum was the parent company. Uh, whatever the name of the individual label was, but she was Sylvia of Mickey and Sylvia and had a monumental hit record uh, in her younger days. Love is Strange. Very good love, record. Mm,
2: love is strange. Wait, Love is Strange, like the one that's in the Dirty Dancing movie? Yes
0: still wow. that's the Sylvia. oh really is, yeah that's She's the one who says
2: oh lover boy that's, <laughs> that's it
0: she says that's how, how you,
2: that's how my generation knows that how song. do you call your lover
0: boy that's <laughs> yeah. Sylvia saying that and then later she came back in the disco era with pillow talk which was the first heavy breathing record I, 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 which made love to love you baby by donna summer, donna summer yeah. um so she's not a non-performer. She had two huge hit records uh, on her under her own name, but okay. Yeah, what is she's it?
2: being inducted for her non-performing uh, okay. qualities. Invol- uh, of the uh, the, the, begs
0: the <laughs> question, what happened to Joe Robinson, who was her partner in the label? I don't know if these people are still alive. I won't say anything out loud because I value life. I go back to my dates on my tombstone. I want it to be (laughs) a lot of time in between. But anyway, that Sylvia, that's who she is and and what she did, among other things, I assume. And Jimmy Ivine, you know, a record producer, really an engineer uh, at inception, a recording engineer um, who was, it it can't be just the right place at the right time because he's been involved with so many things that, bore fruit yeah bruce
1: stevie Nicks, he, bob seeger etc
0: john uh, john lennon and so on and i love the story he tells of um moving to the west coast or he had never lived in a place where you were on the same floor as as the street he, he that freaked mm. him out to be on the same <laughs> you know people could come right in your window you know? <laughs> Anyway, quite, quite a, a character uh, in a, his own right. A mogul, mm-hmm. some might say. Yeah, Interscope Records. The major mogul and, uh, you know, kind of a, in, in his origin, kind of a D's and D's kind of fellow, but, you know, well, it's you know, an autodidact, let's put it that way. And, um, you know, clearly his records have a sound, people seek him out and... It seems to work. He worked on uh, "Loan Justice." Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna combine three things we discussed: Lone Justice," uh, Maria McKee, Her half brother was in Love, the group that was signed to Electra, and um, Jimmy Ivine was their producer, and they were on Geffen Records. Signed by David Geffen. So you I you Combined everything and connect,
1: connect. And they didn't uh, have a hit.
0: Dots. But they should have. Hey,
1: yeah, they're great. Tom Petty, I believe, wrote what was supposed to be their big single, uh, Ways to Be Wicked.
0: Oh, and is there someone else on the list? Yes, there is. Grub yeah. Man. An attorney.
1: An uh, attorney.
0: I'm not against attorneys being celebrated but I don't understand what this person did that makes him worthy of induction into the rock and roll hall of fame. He did represent some big names, including Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, U2, and John Mellencamp. But then again, so did I. And um, and I, I could go through the entire rock and roll hall of fame list of inductees and tell you that I had something to do with, a significant number of them, but I don't believe I should be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. These are literally my clients over the years. (laughs) These are his clients over the years. He provided a service and he was effective. I mean, that's all I got. I don't understand this.
1: I mean, you know, and I know he's been, not only has he been on the Rock Hall board since the beginning, he was involved in the founding uh, slash stealing of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
4: Uh, as a concept
1: and idea and yeah he's i mean he's just like he's like the last of those initial four guys who were involved in the very beginning uh, well, and well so
0: listen i mean they have to give you know, it to he has, him. he has friends in high places he's a high visibility person in terms of his client roster and if that's what it takes to get in then i guess he deserves it but i i just i don't see it I'd be very interested to see who inducts him and what is said about him and what's written in the program.
1: Yeah, that, that I, will be interesting. You're I mean, right. He,
0: I can think of, I mean, Paul Marshall was a great attorney who represented a lot of Roots Rock people in Atlanta, not the hotbed of the music business at its, in that time. You know, I've I, lots of other lawyers. I just, I don't understand how this is justified.
1: Yeah. Nice
0: enough guy, but I don't get it.
1: But we will, uh, you know, we'll we'll let you go here in a second. But as you bring up names that should be inducted in this category, Mm -hmm. I know there are a few that come to mind for me. Ashford and Simpson. Maybe they would be musical excellence at this point because they had a recording career. But, you know, as songwriters, I think
0: very important. No argument here because valerie and i share a birthday but beyond that <laughs> um, i just think the world of them they're the sweetest people in the world and they're great at what they do they're great pop craftsmen and they're very ecumenical you think of them oh well they're they have a motown history and so on but they're they're what they they think in broad terms they're not strictured by genre they're uh, amazing people who uh they just have it in them and they deserve anything that's coming to them. They deserve a strange
1: omission, strange omission in my yeah. opinion. I feel like they should have been considered. I also think uh, Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong. Money, wrote... money, yeah.
0: stop right like there. Money. money. Oh.
1: <laughs> and Barrett, money. Barrett was actually the, uh, the artist on that
0: one. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to
4: the birds and bees. I but they wrote a lot
1: of songs that also, they did not perform.
0: Yeah, I mean the same Motown songs and the same kind of Motown behind the scenes people and they had a huge impact on non-Motown acts. The Beatles did money. I mean, yeah. and boy, what a job they did on it. And it seems cynical, but actually it was this, they were dealing with the reality that they that they lived in. I thought it was genius that they did money. Maybe it was inadvertent. I don't know.
1: <laughs> and then I will echo what uh Seymour said the last time he was on our show, which was that Florence Greenberg uh should be considered Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Scepter and Wand.
0: Scepter and Wand records. So everything from Louie Louie to uh, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow and lots of other records that were historically significant. But just, just the Shirelles, I mean, a girl group that was able to break through, a Black girl group that was hugely important in the pop marketplace that's a, that's the very definition of a crossover and a girl group signed to an independent struggling label by a woman it's never happened before ever. I think
1: uh, worthy with all the of
0: respect to Estelle cell Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, worthy of recognition.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, agree. And
1: speaking of of Scepter, makes me think of Dionne Warwick, which makes me think of
0: Backrack and David, who are not mm-hmm. in the hall. Yeah, well, when Backrack and David are in, they got to be in together. Even though Backrack. Ha- Backrack had some hits with other other partners, but the songs we all know primarily from Dionne Warwick and Dusty Springfield and and so on. uh, Hal David had a hand in, and um, certainly, you know, there's been a big debate about why isn't Backrack getting getting a Kennedy Center honor? He's 94 years old, and yeah, come on. he's getting up there. And what about Hal? I, I think you got to be alive to get that. I think you and, do. So yeah, think That's part of it. Hal's termed out, but he's great. Mm -hmm. You
2: know, I'm curious about kind of what this category is going to mean with producers, just with like producers in music being so much more front and center uh, nowadays, Mm -hmm. as far as like, I know that like, you know, obviously Phil Spector and the like were known and had the sound that people like looked for and stuff. And maybe the lay person would know who they are. But with, you know, the advent of hip hop and rap music being so popular, we are at a place where I look to who the producer was. Like I can hear a song and know it was produced by Pharrell. Like I can hear I a song say, and Pharrell, know,
0: not knowing a lot about this, that to me mm-hmm. that when he is qualified to be in I don't know but I'm of.
2: curious because also a lot of these producers are also performers it's like Timbaland is also an artist in his own right yeah. now granted do I think he's better off I've as a producer revered, yes I do
0: reserved by Jimmy Ivey by the way well, but- exactly
2: well and he's an incredible producer I mean like we would not have the genius of Missy Elliott without him like I think he's made some great songs but he's also an artist you know he's made his well, own I mean songs, we have too. a so, we have
1: a category for that now so musical I excellence. think we're shifting
2: over to musical excellence is where we're going to see like like producers who are also artists, well, like Pharrell. Look, look who we saw this year:
1: Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were not in this category. They oh, are in right. the musical excellence category. That. Okay, so, so I think we're seeing that that's yeah, maybe that, I, that does
0: make more sense, especially for people who are themselves performers. But yeah. I kind of understand Sylvia Robinson. You can't say Pillow Talk is a work of musical excellence. I mean, it was, <laughs> <funny, laughs> but
1: yeah, um, right. Right. It, uh, it's it's of, a it's a I balancing it. act, I think. Yeah. Uh, and anybody else, Bob, that you you think should be? Yeah,
0: uh, Joe Smith. He works on multiple levels because Joe Smith was the president or the chairman of Capitol Records, Electra Records, and Warner Brothers Records. Nobody has done three major labels. Nobody. But before then, he was a DJ. And not just, you know, fill in a time slot. He brought rock and roll to Boston. No one had done it before in the early 50s. And Boston is thought to be, A, a little bit racist and, you know, hmm, hmm, not, not, not a hotbed. And not a hotbed of R&B. And he brought mm-hmm. Black music before it was called that. He brought rhythm and blues to Boston and changed everything in that market. Wow. And then sort of was one of the first real promotion men who who got things accomplished through dint of personality. And maybe there was Paola too, but that, you know, <laughs> it was a level playing field. Joe Smith was above all of them. And signed the Grateful Dead. Stop. There you um, go. Among many, many others. And um, it's a, a Shonda that Joe Smith isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when the Erdogans are, Mo Austin is. David Geffen is all these people that he had intersection with and he did as much or more than many of them. So that's it. Joe Smith. There's,
1: there's the case for Joe Smith.
0: a former client of mine.
2: There we go. But that's
1: beside the point. More than qualified
2: hey. so.
1: <laughs> uh, Well, Bob, this is always so great to talk to you. Yeah, and this has been you're awesome. the perfect fit for this particular episode. So thank you again. Okay. As we let you go, anything you would like to To plug even if it's just the feral cars account online
0: uh feral cars on instagram and facebook (laughs) and uh dion still rocking just had his 83rd birthday he owes his longevity to me i'm kidding i'm kidding he's just great (laughs) um new zz top album just came out this weekend so oh awesome there's 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 a lot of life in the old guy yet
1: very good well of course our listeners can follow us at rock hall pod on twitter and instagram rockhallpod at gmail.com is the email if you want Kristen to see your message you need to designate that somewhere in there otherwise she doesn't want to read it and I'm not going to forward it subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts rate and review us five stars only anything less would be cruel and rude thank you to Mike Lloyd for our logo thank you to Yusu Kim for the music and thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us I'm Joe Pozzala
2: I'm Kristen Stoddard
1: and who cares
2: about the rockall?